This week on Behind the Idea, we look at a contrarian idea on range resources, a natural gas producer that has had a tough go of it for the last five years. KCI Research Limited argues that the company has corrected its mistakes and that the market will be forced to recognize its value soon enough. Natural gas is a commodity, of course, and that leads to me wondering about how to succeed in the industry as a whole. They, I, I don't think anybody would call natural gas a steady business. You know, with natural gas prices going down, that would be a concern to me. And so the less I have to be beholden to somebody else, the more I can wait until other natural gas producers are shutting down, until supply slows down, or until right. demand picks. It just keeps you at the table. So I like that. Meanwhile, this discussion leads Mike to wonder about Seeking Alpha's author's risk tolerance writ large. It's possible that Seeking Alpha authors in particular represent a more risk-tolerant or even risk-seeking group than the market as a whole. There's no doubt that range resources... There's no doubt that range resources is a contrarian pick compared to the market trend, but it's also a quite popular one among authors on Seeking Alpha. What to make of that quandary, and how does a given commodity pick stand out? We discuss on this week's Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. And I'm Mike Taylor. This week we're looking at an idea KCI Research Limited posted in July on Range Resources, ticker symbol RRC. Range Resources is an independent natural gas, natural gas liquids, and oil company primarily focused in the Appalachian and North Louisiana regions. The company has been a favorite of Seeking Alpha authors for a long time, but the market has felt otherwise for just as long as anybody who has looked at a five-year chart could say. KCI Research Limited takes a contrarian view, arguing that the company is just too cheap to ignore. Trading at a fraction of tangible book value while producing free cash flow over the last 12 months, as well as positive net income, it would seem there's an argument here. So what gives with the stock's performance with five years of nearly straight down into the right trading, which has persisted through the last few months? We'll discuss on this week's Behind the Idea. Before we begin, Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work based on ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem and books by Joel Greenblatt. Neither Mike nor I have any positions and any stocks we expect to discuss because we don't really invest in energy. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. And everyone, I'm here to remind you that Behind the Idea is brought to you by Seeking Alpha Pro Plus. Pro Plus is Seeking Alpha's premier subscription offering, which provides subscribers with exclusive access to Seeking Alpha's best research and real-time alerts to top quality analysis, as well as software tools like our idea filter and screening tools to help you find the best research our platform has to offer. To check out ProPlus with a 30-day money-back guarantee, go to seekingalpha.com slash ProPlus. That's seekingalpha.com slash P-R-O 
P-L-U-S. Daniel, do we have anything well, else to discuss before we dive in? Well, I we can say that Pro Plus does cover energy. So anybody, I'm just looking at my Pro Plus feed and there was an article oh, yeah. sent with, out on energy yesterday. Yeah, with all the... With all the bankruptcies and challenges that many energy companies face, uh, there's actually a special Pro Plus vertical devoted to small and micro cap situations. Many energy companies uh, become small and micro caps <laughs> on their way <laughs> to extinction. And for that, Pro Plus has you covered. <laughs> uh Pro Plus, but seriously, Pro Plus has a special vertical devoted to oddball stocks, special situations, and micro caps, uh, including bankruptcies and bankruptcy securities and the opportunities available there. So it is a good tool for checking out some of the more distressed aspects of uh, energy investing. So maybe a fitting, the last thing before we get started, we got a new review that I wanted to share. It happened during our Green Blad Palooza. Got a review from GK underscore Manute D titled Interesting and Fun. Four stars. Out of five. <laughs> right, right. Not a four out of four, unfortunately. The review reads Long time listener. I quite enjoy the banter and the attempts to get to the bottom of an investment thesis from different perspectives. I appreciate that they call BS on the growth at all costs narrative. Only criticism would be that they come across as perma bears, which admittedly they do acknowledge. Well, GK Minute D, thank you. That's yeah, very that's kind. Generous. I would I'll go so far as to say that that feels like a generous review, especially in light of my comments about bankruptcy. Uh, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, I wouldn't say that we're perma bears. Like the sky is always falling. We're, we are trying to be skeptical and trying to probe and stress test. But I mean, I know I've ended up investing in ideas that we've covered on this podcast at some point or another. And That's I don't, bullish. yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think we're going to sound pretty bearish today. Yeah. Unfortunately for GK Minute D and other listeners who dislike our bearishness, uh, we're going to have a tough time here with range resources. So Mike, maybe do, we should just get into it. Yeah. Do you want to take a first crack at this? I know we're, we're trying to talk before the show and wrap our heads around the idea, what KCI research is trying to do and what's going on. You want to take a first cut? Yeah. I will, I will take a stab at it. And this is uh shout out to all our listeners who came with us on our Kinder Morgan adventure, where we assessed an opportunity in Kinder Morgan shares Similar type of com company, especially with respect to the fact that Range Resources has substantial natural gas and natural gas liquids operations. And also similar in the fact that Daniel and I seem to get in a bit over our heads when we try to discuss energy companies. And uh, our listeners like to let us know when they feel that we've done that. So... Just a fair warning ahead of time, as we go into the discussion and the uh, comments here, we we both readily admit that we're not energy specialists, and we're here to have fun trying to examine and understand an idea. As our uh, most recent reviewer said, uh, we attempt 
to get to the bottom of an investment thesis from different perspectives. So keep that in mind. But nothing ventured, nothing gained, especially in the stock market. Am I right? Well, that's risk parity and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to do some huge risk parity here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm levering way the heck up. (laughs) Oh, bless your heart. And uh, so, okay. Range resources. The crux of the argument I think that KCI Research is making is that uh, the market's really been punishing the stock. The headline is too cheap to ignore. And this is just an overdone downdraft to the downside for the share price. That's really the, you have situations, you know, where it's a healthy company and the market is pricing it as though it's healthy. And you kind of look at the situation and you say, that optimism that the market has already priced the company for is still too pessimistic. The company is valued at a, at an attract, at a sort of rich valuation, but I'm, optimistic about the health of the business and the profitability and all that. What we have here is a kind of inverse of that where the stock price is just simply so low that even if the company is kind of bad or unattractive or undesirable, we still are forced to examine the opportunity simply based on the valuation that the market is Uh, inferring about the company relative to its fundamentals. So that's the big picture umbrella thing, I think. KCI Research is saying, this is too cheap to ignore. But then there's more meat on the bone than just that, uh, of course, or we wouldn't be doing the idea on behind the idea. And that's basically that there are specific reasons why the market has punished the company. One is that they made a bad acquisition a couple years ago, 2016, that didn't work out well for them. But they sort of digested that and management has now shifted focus away from growing the operations, growing the asset base and becoming acquisitive of assets and instead focusing on maintaining current operations and when the opportunity presents itself, monetizing its assets through sales and divestments, and then transferring the cash that's generated from those transactions back to shareholders. So in light of that, I think if I were to summarize, I'd say KCI research is saying the the market is still punishing this company as though it's primed to grow its asset base and make additional acquisitions that are undesirable and won't create additional value for shareholders. But in reality, the strategy is now shifted and the there will be less emphasis on growth capex going forward. The company will try to contain its maintenance capex and that shift in reduction of capital expenditures will generate incremental value that can then be transferred to shareholders. How do you think I did, Daniel? I think that's the guts of it, really, is I think that they have... <laughs> the guts of it. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's this is not... We should mention the author, KCI Research Limited, that stands for Coldest Contrarian Investments Limited, uh, the author runs a marketplace service called the Contrarian, which is, I should say, with my marketplace hat on, a popular one. But it's it's a it's a style that is about picking out 
sort of what you were saying at the beginning, these very much unloved stocks that could potentially rebound significantly. And so I think that's the thesis here is that there's a lot of, you look at the book value and the book value essentially comprises of their natural gas resources, right? Or I, I guess that's obvious to say it's a natural gas company primarily, but that's the, their book value is something like $4 billion. They trade for 1.2 market cap. And if you look at their latest 10Q, I think they're valuing the natural gas properties at something like 9.1 natural gas and oil properties at 9.1 billion after depletion and depreciation. So the story is that they have these supposed assets that they can they need to convert into something more liquid, something more marketable. And if they're able to do that at a reasonable cost, and right now they are, there, there's some evidence, this growth to maintenance we, we'll get into, I think, because that always can be fuzzy, but they're, they're living within their means now. If you define their means as operating cash flow, they are actually keeping positive free cash flow. The author says they're cheap any way you look at it. And I sort of, in my head before the call, I was snarkily thinking about, oh, there must be some way because the author didn't give us a ton of metrics. He just gave us the tangible book value. But it does look pretty cheap. EV EBITDA, the number we report on Seeking Alpha, is under four. The price to free cash flow is about nine, 8.7, I think my math showed. Um, those are you know, there are other issues here. There's the balance sheet and there's the fact that we're still commodity exposed, but that's, that's intriguing. And then there is the argument. So the, the argument's fairly straightforward. The, the element that's a little bit more nuanced and, you know, we're probably not going to be able to really pick apart well is the idea that the decline rates for range resources are quite low. Thus, they can spend less on CapEx. The way I understand that, listeners, feel free to tell us how I'm wrong in this case, but I understand that as their wells, their gas wells last longer than the average well, the decline rate is only 20% rather than 60 to 70%. And they thus don't have to spend as much money replenishing their source of wells. They don't have to keep digging more and more, drilling more and more wells. Thus, they can live within their means. And so that, in theory, you can see how that's in an industry where it's tough to have competitive advantage because gas is ultimately gas and it's really just a matter of how much you're producing. The fact that they can do that in a low-cost way, that that's sort of... So that's the argument, I think. And... Um, yeah, which is, you know, just a, another way of saying what you said there. So there are, there are a few outstanding questions, of course. I don't know if there's somewhere you want to go first, but I think there are definitely some, there's a reason the market is not buying this yet, I think. Yeah. Let's start with the kind of balance sheet angle, I think is a good way to start. So we have these oil and gas assets sitting on the balance sheet. They have a high carrying value on the balance sheet. And I sort of think of that in two separate ways. One is, okay, I believe that they use a specific accounting choice to help them 
decide the carrying value of the assets on the balance sheet. But if we just go with sort of general gut feeling, the way that you generate these assets on the balance sheet is you do development of these resources trying to find oil and natural gas or whatever it is you're looking for. You incur expenses trying to generate a productive thing out of a hole in the ground or a piece of land or whatever it is. And then you book those expenses on your balance sheet to the extent that they're successful. So if you dig a hole in the ground, there's no oil there, then you don't get to book an asset on your balance sheet. But if you do find something that has, you know, some present value, then you book the expenses that you incurred to generate that asset on your balance sheet. Right. Just so they use successful efforts method versus full costs method, which is more conservative, I think. I think we both did the same. The same. I Googled. I was like, what is that? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm on accountingtools.com. And yeah, so it's, I, I mean, I was just for listeners listening along. It's successful efforts. It's supposed to be more conservative. There are still a lot of assumptions built in. And I also, if I understood correctly, those are not discounted, uh, which is relevant because ultimately I don't think you can produce all that gas in one year for a number of reasons. And so there's, you know, that's just something else to kind of keep in mind when we talk about book value as a bogey for right. Well, that's where I'm going with this. So the carrying value of the assets on the balance sheet are related to the historical costs you've incurred in generating the asset, right? So they're, there you book expenses like exploration expense, or I don't know what you would actually call it, but like you're digging a hole, say you're digging a hole. I don't know if this company does that, but let's just try and simplify. You dig the hole and you incur expenses. You, you know, you pay your workers some hourly wage, you rent equipment, you do all this stuff to create this asset. And then there's oil there. Then the carrying value of the asset, I think, will be the expenses that you incurred to dig the whole net of whatever overruns you you had that resulted in unproductive assets. So it's it's a historical cost-based way of looking at the asset. The problem with that is that if you're going to value the company according to book value, then you have to make an assumption that the historical cost of generating the asset is accurately reflective of the present value of the future benefits you're going to get from creating the asset. And you can generate those future benefits one of two ways. You can sell your hole in the ground to someone else and for cash, and then they can do whatever they want with it. Or you can operate your hole in the ground and pull oil and natural gas and natural gas liquids out of it and then sell those at a profit. And either way, the present value of those activities have to match the carrying value if you're going to value the company at one times book value. I think a steep discount to book value reflects market skepticism about the historical cost of the assets versus the future value. Do you think I'm out of whack here, Daniel, or do you think that that's a fair way of looking at this? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think when you get down to it, I, I mean, it's even, 
we, what we were saying is it's simple to view this as sort of a leverage play on natural gas. And I think that discounting is a reflection of, are you actually going to, yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's one thing worth doing when you look at this sort of accounting is looking at what their assumptions are that go into the numbers. I looked at their last 10 K and they had a price of oil that was about $7 a barrel higher. The price of natural gas was almost 50 cents of BTU million thermal units uh, higher. So the, the, which is the more relevant number, those are big changes. And so that's, that's, I think sort of when we, when we say what gives the market, I think it's relatively, we don't need to abstract it too much. The price of natural gas has stayed low, has gone lower. And so there's some doubt that the company will be able to get this out of the ground and sell it for the price assumed at book value, which, which maybe they don't need to achieve full book value. But then when you throw in the cost that they have to pay to actually extract this, to operate, to continue to maintain, and also look at the, I lost my train of thought is what else you would have to look at. But I think it's just, it puts them in a position where they also have a big debt load. And so having to navigate all that, like there's some reason, there's something behind this. I, I think you, you said before the call, the market isn't usually so far off. And that's, I think what the market is fearing is that natural gas production continues to be high. It's an important fuel, you know, potentially there's some political uncertainty, but I doubt that that's really in the price at this point. So you're looking at a lot of supply without any clear sign that that's going to come down. And so then you really need to hope that demand will sort of rescue you or that these companies will really close down. And I don't, I'm not steeped in the field, but neither of those seem like obvious plays. Right. So let's take, so let's quickly take the other side of that and just sort of explore quickly because KCI Research has some comments on this. First of all, the strategic orientation of the company, we already talked about that, how uh, growing assets is no longer a part of the plan. Instead, sort of efficiency in monetizing the current asset base is part of the plan. The other thing he mentions is that the asset base is concentrated in Appalachia, which KCI Research says is a richer and more valuable asset base. And he makes an analogy to Tech Resources, which is a company that experienced a kind of bounce back that he expects here for range resources. I don't really have a way of assessing one way or another the quality of the asset base, but I would buy some kind of argument that's related to concentrating and focusing on a specific geography, developing expertise, and exploiting the kind of natural advantages that come with owning a particular asset that's unique in some way or another. So, and I could buy that the market is failing to appreciate that given management's past track record and given the sort of way that 
it's very hard to segment out and understand, I think, the value of individual assets, especially for a lot of generalist investors, relative to the overall energy market. So I'll buy that, I think. But I think it is contingent to some degree on a more favorable natural gas market overall. I think that, yeah, we you mentioned before leveraged play on commodity prices. And I think that there is an aspect of optionality to this where if natural gas prices reach a certain threshold, this company will simply have to be re-rated on a number of dimensions by the market because, but that sort of assumes that the market has an inaccurate forecast on what natural gas prices will do and this company's ability to capitalize on that. Well, and he pegs to his recent transaction as a good example of that there is some interest out there. And I think it's in, I think there are a couple interesting things to look at. First off, even before this, they do deserve credit. Even in the first six months of the year, they reduced their debt load. There is some progress being made towards cutting down on debt, which I, I always get obsessed about that. I like to see that. So good job, range resources. But the, why is that? Why do you like that? I just think it, it gives you more options at the end of the day. It, it leaves you less beholden to the price of natural gas. I mean, look, you're ultimately going to have to make money, but, and, and their balance sheet, I should say, I did a little bit of looking. Their balance sheet is, especially once they complete this deal, isn't awful in the sense that they have, I can't remember the exact number, but all of their debt basically comes due between 2021 and 2023, which is a relatively near term window and so they you need to start worrying about that but they do have the interest rates are around five percent i think on average they have bank debt that they pay a lower interest rate on and then they have a bunch of senior notes that pay between five and six percent which again is partially when people talk about the silicon valley bubble or whatever or when they talk about shale oil the low interest rates is sort of fueling that. And so that's, you know, seems to be playing out here. And again, there could be the second level of other companies are able to stay in the game too. But I just think the, especially in, we talked about Kinder Morgan, right? In Kinder Morgan's case, the argument is that it's a steadier business and we can agree or disagree, but we, we went over that quite a bit. But if it is indeed a steadier business, there's an argument where leverage can get you more out of that steady business than just X. You can get 2X or 3X. And then I think they've recalibrated that over time, right? And then with range resources, they I, I don't think anybody would call natural gas a steady business. Even just looking at their, again, their 10Q operating cash flow is down about $100 million, almost exactly a hundred million dollars over the past year, which, you know, could be stuff above the line, working capital, whatever else. But that to me, you know, with natural gas prices going down, that would be a concern to me. And so the less I have to be beholden to somebody else, the more I can wait until other natural gas producers are shutting down until supply slows down or until demand right. picks. It just keeps you at the table. So I like that. 
And then they made this deal where they sold, they essentially sold a overriding royalty interest in 350,000 net service acres in Southwest Appalachia for $600 million, equivalent to about 20 times free cash flow for 2019. And then they made a smaller deal alongside that. They're going to put all of that towards reducing debt, reducing their revolving credit, which is the lower interest rate, but still it's a revolver. You want to keep that dry powder for when you need it. And so, you know, they're, they're almost getting this for free is their argument. Essentially, there's, they're losing out $48 million in cash flow, but then they're saving $30 million in interest expense. So you're almost, you're, you're getting a, like it ends up being a creative deal. And so there is what that points to is there is to some degree, even if I guess the royalty might cap their upside, if natural gas bounces back, it does show that there's interest in some of these assets and that if they can get creative about how they monetize them while waiting for natural gas prices to go higher, to continue to stay at the table, to be able to produce free cash flow. Like that's, that's where this story and that's where the tech resources, which was a huge winner in 2016, I think, I think that's where that parallel plays out. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a, unreasonable argument it's uh it's an argument that needs things to go right but there i think you can see it okay something i'm coming back to that i kind of wish was a little bit more of a focal point in this article i think we're talking about a lot of industry level risks and i i'm not sure how how this company's valuation, since the discount is such a huge part of it, I'm not sure how the discount relates to the peer group. So I'm looking at just some high-level stats on Seeking Alpha, and I'm seeing on a gap PE basis, it's actually top of the peer group, and the peer group here is defined as Southwestern Energy Company, Antero Resources, Cabot, EQT and Gulfport Energy. So I don't know. Caveat listener. How do you say that? I don't know. Caveat listener. Locutor. Caveat locutor. I think auditor. Auditor. You're the I'm the Well, I should also be cautious. But forward gap PE, rich relative to the group, maybe in the middle of the group on non gap trailing PE, on sales, middle of the pack. And on EBITDA and other metrics, seemingly part of the peer group. So I guess that cuts really neither here nor there. Because I think the argument here is that this company has been punished unduly. I just think it's funny that I didn't get a great sense of relative valuation from this. Did Did you pick up anything from the article in terms of how we should think about this relative to the sector. Cause we're talking a lot about industry exposure. You're going to take a huge natural gas price risk if you invest in this company. So how do we know that we're being unduly compensated for that when we invest in this company in particular versus other ones? Yeah, I didn't get, I didn't get a great sense that the author mentions something like Southwestern, which he's also long or, or I think, at least bullish about which is also a company that 
similar market cap and similar chart. Cabot Oil and Gas is viewed as sort of, it sounds to me the way the author refers to it, as if it's a better run company. And indeed, they're, again, just using stock price. They've been steadier over the last five years, still down, but it's not been all in one direction. And what I think is, I guess I, I meant to mention this at the top and I don't, I don't think we did, but the, the way we sort of found this article, we were playing around. We have new screener tools on Seeking Alpha where you can rate, you can search for articles based on the collective author sentiment or the collective quant scores. We have internal quant ratings or the collective sell side rating. And so this is something, you know, it's part of Seeking Alpha Central, also part of Pro Plus while we mention it. But it is, so we were just, I kind of thought it'd be fun to look at what are stocks that authors really like, but that the other two metrics don't like. And when you look at range resources, it was one of the ones at the top of authors are bullish, but the quant rating is very bearish. And the sell side rating is a hold, which frankly is very bearish. That's it, bearish for the sell side, yeah. Yeah. And so, and yeah, and when you just look at it against peers, our, our authors, our, the peers we provide on our site are Southwestern, Entero Resources, Cabot, EQT, and Gulfport. Our authors are bullish on all of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no comment. The sell side is only bullish on Antero, Cabot, and EQT. The quant rating is neutral on most of them, but bearish on EQT and very bearish on range resources. So take that for what it's worth. I just think it's interesting. Yeah, I think... Here's a... I want to throw a quick theory out there. Go for it. dynamic. It's possible that Seeking Alpha authors in particular represent a more risk-tolerant or even risk-seeking group than the market as a whole, which I think the market as a whole you could interpret as kind of the quant rating aspect of things. The market sort of assigns a certain value metric and the share price momentum is probably reflective of some aspect of the market's perception. And then the sell side has a different sort of set of preferences. So I just wonder whether you could make an argument that this is actually, ultimately someone has to be right, but maybe there's more risk aversion in the other two analyses versus the Seeking Alpha authors who are probably targeting outperformance and maybe more tolerant of the idea that this thing could bite the dust, but on the other hand, the upside is so huge. I think that's the argument being made here. And I kind of, we keep coming back to the idea of a levered play on natural gas and such a steep discount that results in a potential rebound. That's enormous. Maybe they're just further out on the risk curve than the other two metrics we have here. We're back to risk parity. Yeah. Levering I th- up. I think that's, yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think, you know, there are lots of authors are prone to write about things that they're already holding in their portfolio long or short. I would, without knowing, I would expect the bell curve, especially once you get out of the most hundred 
100 most popular tickers, I would expect the bell curve for author scores to be much more too too topped. I I would assume the bullish side is a bigger top, but then I would assume there's more of a quest around bearish than neutral. Yeah, yeah. It's polarized. Whereas I would assume I would take the sell side to just have a more normalized distribution centered on bullish as compared to... Yeah. (laughs) It's just how the business is. And so, and then I don't know what the quant ratings I have less to judge on. But yeah, I think that's reasonable. And I think it's, I guess what the, from the investing standpoint, cause I, and I'll give an example from something I'm doing in my own research. At some point, I, I'm not making excuses here, but you have, cause I think with the commodity plays, it always becomes more obvious of, all right, well, what makes one oil producer different than another? Why should I differentiate? Why should I pick one or the other? And you kind of have to study them all to really, I think, to make reasonable choices. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can just say, I like this setup and go for it. I, I don't know. That's sort of the balance you're making. I'm just, I'm looking at an industrial company that is cyclical, that is, you know, on a downturn and poised, I would think to have a few more bad quarters. And I'm just trying to, so I've got this, I've started this spreadsheet and I like to do things more or less manually where I'm looking at the metrics across 20 different companies and Beyond anything else, that takes a lot of time, and I, I you know, I'm dumb and do it very <laughs> manually. But like, yeah, you know, well, equals average. Try that <laughs> equals average. No, what it I'm, just, it'll take the average for you. I'm what I'm doing is I'm taking, I go to their 10 Qs and their 10 Ks, and I like manually pull the trailing 12 month number. It's like go go to 10q figure out the difference between this year and last year then add that into the 10k it's there's there are smarter ways out there but i'm very stubborn is one word and i'd like to like to have my own cooking i don't like to trust anybody else's fancy data process so but anyway that's where yeah that's where the opportunity lies Sounds like a great use of your time. <laughs> but I admire your commitment to the integrity of your information, <laughs> such as it is. So, uh, so where does that leave us for range resources? What, what sort of your, where do you take, where do you end up here? I, I don't hate the idea. I don't think I'm persuaded that there's an outsized opportunity relative to the pricing. I think for me to, I think the next steps for me would be, okay, let's look at the debt maturities and let's look at the interest expense and find out sort of what stress tests the opportunity to the downside and sort of figuring, figure out what could happen here uh, if the market's more or less right about the direction of natural gas prices and range resources ability to realize value. And then having that downside in place, I think then we could start to make an assessment of, okay, what would a normalized valuation look like? And to me that if, if you can be zeroed out in a bankruptcy, which is we've seen happen I joked about bankruptcies in the energy space, but it happens a lot, especially when you lever up. Uh, it's it's a highly risky situation to have 
and expected stream of cash flows that are definite versus revenues and earnings that are dependent on cyclical pricing. So I sort of buy that there is a large upside case here. I don't know how the dis- distribution is made up and it may not be all that heavily weighted to the upside versus the downside. That's certainly the market is not massively assigning an upside probability here. We wouldn't have this strange valuation thing. I'm caught up also in this concept of monetizing the asset base and now being able to generate additional value for shareholders through reduced uh, CapEx expenditures and therefore sort of generating greater free cash flow. I understand the idea there, but I'm hesitant to buy it. I, I just don't quite buy that you can sort of toggle this switch at will. I'd be a little more concerned that Uh, Some of these assets don't have necessarily the value that's reflected on the balance sheet. And then maybe once you discount them, then the valuation starts to look a lot more fair. And I am not positive that management's new direction is necessarily going to move the needle one way or another when probably the overriding factor is out of their control, which is uh, gas prices. So I like it in the sense that it is contrarian, and I like it in the sense that there is a reasonable, substantial upside case to the story. I'm not overwhelmingly convinced that the overall distribution of outcomes is all that attractive. But I like, but I, I think it would be worth looking at in more detail. What about you? Yeah, I think high level roughly agree with the conclusion. I think the three things I would want to interrogate further are how it fits in with the rest of the industry and what's going on with the industry. Like why range resources versus anything else. If I'm, if I'm, if this is just a basket of plays, fine. But if it's, if I'm coming, if I want exposure to natural gas, why should I consider range resources primarily? I think that was, something that wasn't discussed here. I think the CapEx, I'm always interested, is this feasible that they'll continue to maintain that lower CapEx rate? Um, that would be, that would be something, you know, that's an important piece of this story. And so I think that's something we can't really, neither of us are capable of really stress testing, but I think that's interesting. And then I would say the last thing that, I would just be interested in is I think with a relative, you should be able to do some sensitivity tables here and just kind of see what, like even more than the spread of normalized distributions as far as returns, just in terms of what the company would be making under different gas prices. That to me doesn't seem like it'd be a ton of, that seems important and doesn't seem like it'd be too long. A lot of manual TTM typing (laughs) into a spreadsheet. I think we can agree. <laughs> it makes for a boring Sunday. It makes for a boring Sunday. But sometimes that's the sacrifice you have to make to find Alpha, Mike. Indeed. 
Not that it's worked for me, but. So I had one thought, a glimmer of a thought here, and I just want to, I'll just put it out there and you react how, how you see fit. <laughs> it's natural gas timeshares. <laughs> you take the property and then whoever wants, they can, you can have a couple weeks trying to extract the gas. And then when your time is up, then you have to move out and you just sort of slice it up that way. And then, you know, different time slots that have different values. And we cut this up to make for a more just efficient market in general. <laughs> and if somebody's unhappy with their timeshare, they can just say they had a bad case of gas and move on. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Oh, Daniel. Oh, no. We have been dancing around it the whole time. We, the guy of the story, natural gas. Yeah. Well, I guess we finally reached a this well, low if, point. If you're allowed to go back to timeshares, I'm allowed to go back to dad jokes. Okay, fair I enough. Think, fair I enough. think that's that was the premise I was going with there. Well, I was trying to think, you know, if we're bullish natural gas, Daniel, which I think, you know, you and I are <laughs> going to eventually come around on that. We could just start our own little exploration company and get out there in Appalachia, put I've, on some hard hats, and start booking some historical costs. I like Appalachia. Our carrying value on the balance sheet <laughs> would just be, like, so enormous. Oh, dug another bad hole. <laughs> Shoot. Well... <laughs> I guess you prefer full costs as your accounting method. We're, dude, we will not be able to use any other method. <laughs> it's going to have to be full cost carrying value. Otherwise, our balance sheet will be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've come up with a lot of business ideas on Behind the Idea. I don't think that that one, I think that one's probably towards the bottom of the list. I gotta say. I like Appalachia. I... Be happy to go visit. I don't know that drilling holes there would help anybody. Yeah. Well, all right. The search continues for our great next great investment opportunity <laughs> with our own time and effort. <laughs> we but, certainly haven't found it here on this podcast. Listeners, we're open to suggestions, but I think we should leave it there. All right. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right, Daniel, take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. I hope you enjoyed it. We're pulling into the end of the year stretch, and I wanted to remind you to watch out for bonus episodes with some of our top authors on Friday. We featured Tim Heitman of Investing 501 and 4K Robles so far. You can get them on this same channel at Behind the Idea. And as always, if you have a chance to rate us or leave us a review, we would be great. This is Seeking Out for Production. Thank you for listening. See you next week.